As most of you know, they've been coming. We, uh, Pastor Joe just finished up a long series on the book of Ephesians. It was a great series. I love that book. And uh, they're so, it's so rich with theology and practical application how to live. And I'm not sure when he gets back what he's got in mind, but I know it'll be something good. You know, it's always a challenge for me when I preach. You know, it's one thing when you're going to teach or preach through a series, but when you only do it a few times a year and you, there's the whole Bible to pick from, you know, what, what should I preach on? And so I, you know, wrestle with that and I, I, I pray about it and I think about uh, different things, but it, it is indeed a challenge because there's so much that we can talk about from God's uh, holy word. So today, the title of my uh, sermon, Way Above My Pay Grade, Way Above My Pay Grade. Now, Joe is very proud. He made that slide there, and uh, he he loves making slides, but that's a slide from him. But we're going to be talking about uh, Psalm 131 this morning, and then we'll get, I'll address a little bit this idea of why I came up with that title, Way Above uh, My Pay Grade. So I'd ask if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 131, a very short psalm written by uh, David. It's a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. May God add his blessing to his holy word. I ask now you would join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who we so desperately need to illumine our hearts and our minds to your word, to your truth. I pray that you would use me today as an instrument of your glory and grace, and you would speak to our hearts, Lord, doing what you will. We know, Lord, your word is true, and it will not return void or empty, but will accomplish all that you want it to accomplish. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you should be encouraged. Uh, As my son told me before the sermon, he says, Dad, you need to be done early. The Steelers are playing at 12. (laughs) We don't get to see the Steelers play much at 12 here down in this time zone. So so we will try to get you out. So, you know, see the Steelers at 12, son. This particular psalm is called, it's a song, a psalm. It's also a prayer, if you read it, of David. And it's, uh, you saw that word, it's a song of ascent. The songs of ascent are a special group of psalms comprising Psalms 120 through 134. They are also called pilgrim songs. And four of these particular songs are attributed to King David, including the one that we read today. The city of Jerusalem, as most of you know, or if you've ever been there, is situated on a high hill. So Jews that would be traveling for one of the three main annual Jewish festivals may have traditionally sang these songs on their ascent, the way up, the upward hill to Jerusalem. And this song was most likely a song taught to children, because as you, as you think about it, it's a very simple song. It's a beautiful song. And it's simply about trusting in Jesus, trusting in God, okay? 
It would be sort of like today, you know, teaching our children the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. It was something that they would memorize and repeat. And so we're going to look at this particular psalm today and, and hopefully uh, think, draw some things out that will be helpful and useful to us. And it is something, putting our trust in God is something that you and I need to be reminded about every day. And by this psalm, if you look, there was a metaphor that David uses about a weaned child. And when he's using that metaphor, and we'll get more into it, he's thinking about those things possibly in life that can agitate us or upset us, knock us off our high horse. And so when he uses that phrase in the second half of verse 1, which I would like to focus on just a little more this morning, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Or as the New American Standard puts it, I do not involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. There must be something with, when he wrote this psalm, he's confronted with that is beyond him, that's causing him stress or anxiety. And so he writes the song to center himself again before the Lord. And I'm sure, you know, looking at the life of David, if you read about the life of David, there are plenty of examples in First and Second Samuel about the life of David that we can find that he probably had periods of anxiety and stress. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been involved with something too difficult? Something out of your control. Something that you only have part of the picture. Something you don't fully understand. And sometimes this can cast doubt on our faith. It could be major things like a death in the family, a chronic illness. could be your child making bad choices that hurt you. It could be someone close to you letting you down could be just simply wondering about the future. What's tomorrow going to look like, right? How's our country going to end up? How is our community? How's our family? What is in store for my children? It could be small things as well that gets us anxious. Things like students, you know, when you have to take those midterms and finals, studying, or you at work when you're getting a deadline put on you by your boss, Uh, It could be a lot of little things that they just begin to add up and they're like that straw that breaks the camel's back. What do we do during those periods of angst and anxiety when everything is not going according to our plans, right? Well, this psalm, I think, gives us a simple instruction to help us daily. And I repeat daily. It should be a daily thing because each day... We need the Lord. He needs to be our vision. The title, Way Above My Pay Grade, connotes the idea that someone doesn't have all the knowledge or the ability or the decision-making authority to understand or change something. I remember being in the Air Force, you know, and there would be these big decisions that have to be made, right? And they'd come and say, you know, Captain Malik, Major, you need to do it. I say, hey, That's above my pay grade. That needs to be on the colonel's desk or something, you know. You all been there where there are things where you know you do not have the authority or the ability or the wherewithal to make those kind of decisions. And so we need to recognize that another way of saying it may be I'm in over my head. 
Have anybody of you ever been in over your head? I'm sure we can all attest that one time or another we've been in over our head. But before we look at these, the simple steps of trust, let's think about these words, too great and too marvelous for us to comprehend or understand and control. That Hebrew word for great is the Hebrew word gadol, and it literally means great, greatest, large. We see it used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, and God made the two great lights, talking about the moon, of course, and the sun. The Hebrew word for marvelous is pala, and it means to be surpassing or extraordinary, miraculous, wondrous. And you know, in life, there are many things that fall into these different categories that are beyond us. We don't fully understand. We don't fully grasp everything. And if we're not careful, They can cause us to become anxious. They can cause us to become depressed. They can cause us to look inward instead of upward. Let me just give you a few. There are many. Starting kind of on a big scale and working our way down. How about this? One of the most common that you and I will deal with as Christians is this whole idea of human pain and suffering. Right? The idea goes like this. If God is good and all-powerful, why do bad things happen to people? And usually their faulty conclusion is either that God isn't good or he isn't all-powerful. Right? And that leaves us and them in a dilemma. This is what we would define in the word theodicy, which is a defense of God's goodness and omnipotence in the view of the existence of evil. Have you ever felt like talking to someone that you had to defend God and you aren't able to do it? Have you ever been there? I have. I don't have answers to everything. You know, I can't adequately explain these things. And sometimes if we're not careful, they can cause us again to get kind of off center and become anxious. And I think some of these things fall in that category. They're beyond us. Interestingly, in Luke chapter 13, when Jesus is walking, he's in a crowd. And some of you know this story. And it says there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he, Jesus, answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. So they're wondering, it's like this bad thing happened to these Galileans, and they're trying to find out why did it happen. And of course, their first answer and response was, which we normally go to, they're getting what they deserve, right? We say, well, most bad things happen because bad people do bad things. And so, therefore, that's the reason it happened. Notice that Jesus does not answer him telling them why it happened. What does he tell them? He says, the issue isn't whether you understand all the big details of everything around why this happened and why it happened. The issue is, are you ready to repent? It's always a personal decision. And I would also say that sometimes when you're talking with people and they get off tangents like that, you try to address them. But ultimately, you say, what are you, Jeff, what are you going to do with the gospel I just shared? What do you do with it, deal with it? And that's what Jesus is saying there. And then he goes on also in that particular passage, and he says, uh, what about those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell? And it killed them. 
Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? You know, he's asking that. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. See, we try to get caught up and understand all these big things. And at the end of the day, we're all going to perish. And at the end of the day, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? That is the issue. Have you turned away from your sin and turned to a loving and almighty God? That is the issue there. Sometimes we are like Job, right? I love the story of Job. You've read Job. It's a great book. And we're like Job. We're wondering what in the world is going on around us, right? We think we understand the big picture, but we really don't, right? And if you read the end of Job, you know, Job is like questioning God. And Job was very righteous. In fact, at the beginning of the book, God brags on him to Satan, right? Have you considered my servant Job a righteous man? So that throws out that whole idea of, you know, came upon him because he was bad. But at the end, you know, Job's complaining to God, why is this happening to me? And you know what? God doesn't answer him why it happened, does he? He just says some questions that kind of says, where were you at the beginning of time? And you go three and you're like seeing Job just shrink and shrink and shrink down because he realizes he is in the presence of an almighty God. So that might throw you off. Let me think of another issue that sometimes frustrates us and causes us maybe beyond art. There are doctrinal issues in the Bible, right? Uh, Some of you struggle with the doctrine of election and predestination or God's judgment, especially in the Old Testament. You just don't know how to explain it to people. And these can be very difficult things. And most people tend to shy away from them today, right? No one wants to talk about hell. No one wants to talk about what happens after because they're just upsetting to people, right? And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, we need to put our faith and trust in Christ and simply go to him for help. I'm reminded of Paul in Romans chapter 11, right? Romans, a great book. He lays out the whole plan of salvation. He talks about the doctrines of election and predestination. He talks about God's choice, you know, of Jacob over Esau, all these big questions. And at the end in chapter 11, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Sometimes there are things that are unsearchable, okay? Don't be frustrated or discouraged if you don't fully understand it or your faith gets shaken a little bit sometimes, right? You know, John Calvin, for you, part of a Presbyterian church, and, you know, John Calvin's one of our baseball card guys, right? One of the famous guys. You know, you got the Apostle Paul, you got Martin Luther, you got St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, you got John Calvin, you know? And John Calvin's always, he, he's the predestination guy, right? Right? And then people look down on him, he's the predestination guy. Well, by the way, predestination was taught by Jesus, was taught by Paul, was taught by St. Augustine and Luther and all the way up. But he, he kind of carries that. But he says something very interesting in his book, The Institutes on Predestination. I want you to listen to this. He said, first then, let them remember that when they inquire into predestination, they are penetrating the sacred precincts of divine wisdom. If anyone with carefree assurance breaks into this place, 
he will not succeed in satisfying his curiosity and he will enter a labyrinth from which he can find no exit. And here's his point is sometimes in these big high doctrines that we don't fully understand, we believe them and we need to study them. And if you have questions about them, don't shun them. Learn about them. Ask people about them, right? But sometimes we just got to be careful how far. We only go as far as scripture goes. And even that, again, sometimes we struggle with that. You know, how many of you have been watching uh, or listening to some of the Christian podcasts and things going, there's this new term out there now called deconstruction, right? Have you heard about that? A lot of people, big, big people that were Christians for a while, major pastors of churches and that, they're deconstructing their faith, right? Why are they deconstructing their faith? You know, they're systematically going through and say, well, I don't believe the gospel anymore. I don't believe it because I don't understand everything. And it usually, it usually is around several things. It's usually around these big ideas of judgment and, and trying to defend God or it's they don't want to buy into the sexual uh, uh, lifestyle changes that are now so prevalent in our community. And so people are de- deconstructing their faith. We don't need to deconstruct our faith, you know. We just need to go simply to the Lord each and every day. And use the church and use others to hear what God's word has to say. So those are some big issues. Um, How about the future of our country? I know there are a few people out there, especially if you were born after probably, you know, 1960. Well, no, before, before probably the year 2000, especially. You look at our country, you've been around the block for a while, and you're looking at our country, and you're like, what is going on? Why is this happening? You know, we don't like what's happening in our institutions. Well, we need to be reminded from the Bible that God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Another beautiful story in the Old Testament is Daniel, right? With Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He, nobody can interpret it, right? And so he's getting ready to kill all the wise men, all his magicians, everybody, because nobody can interpret his dream. And so Daniel gets wind of that, and he, needs, he goes to the three other Hebrew boys there, and it says in Daniel, it says, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah's companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, now listen to this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season, he removes kings, and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and insight and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now, sometimes God may make us privy to what's going on around us like he did to Daniel, but normally he is silent. Normally he does not. We need to put our trust in the kingdom of God and in Christ, right? Kingdoms of this world will be shaken. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that, Once more, I will shake not only the earth, 
but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Folks, some of these things are above our pay grade, the future of our country. Civilizations rise and fall. They always have, right? Uh, We can't control a lot of things. They're above our pay grade. We need to simply trust in God that our sovereign ruler sits on the throne and he rules from heaven. What else is above our pay grade? Now, you know, probably all of us are guilty of that is, is the future, right? How many of you want to control the future? Right? If you knew what stock was going to go up in, in, in six months, right, you would want to buy now. We all want to know the future. We don't like to be uh, worried about tomorrow. Well, what's the Bible say? Well, James says it very bluntly. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's pretty sobering. Our life is but a mist. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But yet we will spend a lot of time worrying and thinking about tomorrow. Now, I'm not talking about planning and doing those things as necessary, but sometimes when we start to get overwhelmed and get off-centered, you know, we need to go to him. We need to go to the Lord. Jesus said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said, do not worry about tomorrow. For why? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Any of you have a good idea what our country is going to look like tomorrow? How about your family? Where are you going to be in five years? You know? I mean, we, we would have thought COVID probably be gone by now, right? There are a lot of people, all the experts would be gone by now or much different. We don't know. We can't control the future. Tomorrow is above our pay grade. All right? Tomorrow is above our pay grade. But before I go on, let me be clear of what Psalm 131 is not. All right, and I, I, this is a quote. I love this quote. So I'm not. It's from David Paulison. He's a counselor, I believe. He says this: This psalm does not portray unruffled, unruffled detachment or stoic indifference. It's not about having an easygoing personality or low expectations. It's not a retreat from the troubles of life or retirement to a life of ease. After all, Jesus and David were both kingdom builders who expected and achieved. Huge things in the midst of commotion and trouble. They experienced pressure and joy and heartache and outrage, affection and courage. So Psalm 139's inner quiet comes in the midst of actions, relationships, and problems. Why do you think Jesus went off to pray often? You ever think about that? Son of God needs to go off to pray? Hmm? How much more do we? So how are we to respond? What... what, what Simple things can we do? You know, you've got to always come up with the same letters, right? So I have to stretch one, but I think it worked. Three things. We've got to humble ourselves. Second, we need to hush sometimes. Hush, be quiet, be still, right? And the third one, we need to have hope. We need to have hope in Christ. Let's look at the first one, humility, humble ourselves. 
When we are confronted with things above our pay grade, when there are things that we have no control of, we need to humble ourselves. This is the first step. And probably the most difficult one, right? Pride is the center of all sin. It really is. You know, Paul says in Romans 12 that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Why did he say that? Because we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, right? We think we know more about things. We think we have more control over things than we really do, right? And now we live in an information age. I can go on Google and get anything, you know, and all of a sudden I'm an expert, right? And our news media is filled with experts today, right? Everybody's an expert. Everybody has full knowledge. Well, tell me this. Why can you have two highly credentialed, qualified doctors that went to our highest institutions of learning, and one says masks is good, and the other one says masks don't work? Why? Because we don't have all knowledge, right? In fact, in some ways, I think, you know, we have worshipped science in the last 50 years, scientism, and God sitting in heaven laughing at us. Because we're proud, okay? We're proud. We got to humble ourselves, right? David was an extraordinarily gifted man. Everybody knows that it reads his life story. Extraordinary, talented, wrote a lot of the, you know, the Psalms, tremendous musician, a warrior. So he was not someone that was not in the fray. But he recognized and he says, my heart is not lifted up or my eyes raised too high. A proud heart or haughty eyes is one of those abominations that the Lord talks about and he hates in Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. When we are proud or haughty, we tend to see ourselves as more knowledgeable, more capable, or that somehow we control the levers of things that's going on in our lives. Humility implies a dependence upon God, a daily recognition that I don't have it, Lord, I'm over my head, I need your help. Sometimes God in his goodness and providence, he'll knock us off our high horse. And we're forced what? To look upward. If you're on your back, you can only look upwards. We don't know if this was the case in this psalm, but David intentionally humbles himself, right? Maybe David wrote this when he knew he was destined to be the king on the throne, but there was something in the way of that, and that would be what? King Saul. King Saul trying to kill him. He was on the run. He was away from the comforts of home. He was not seeing the big picture. Things weren't making sense to him. And God made a promise to him, and it seems like everything is happening the opposite. Right? He recognized he didn't see all things. So part of that humility is self-awareness. It's an awareness that literally there are things beyond my understanding. We need to be humble, folks. You know, we, we argue with people and uh, defend our way sometimes. And, you know, we may have a lot of information and knowledge, but there is so much we don't know about everything. The more I get older and study the Word, you know what I realize? The more I don't know. I mean, really. It's like the more I don't know. It, humility. We need to be humble people. First point. Second point, we must be hush. We must be quiet. We need, to know, we need to learn to be still, right? Be still and know that he is God. This picture that David uses here of this weaned child, right? 
you know, a wean child is no longer getting the milk from the mother, and it's kind of on its own a little bit. So the picture he's trying to portray, you know, when a child needs milk, for you that have kids before, right, babies cry, and it's usually one of three things, right? They're tired, they're hungry, or their diaper needs change, right? Then eventually they're weaned, and they're able to get food on their own. And I think the picture David's trying to, is a child that loves just being in her presence of their mother, not because she has milk, but just likes being in her presence. You know the picture, right? You that have been mothers or aunts or grandmas or babysitters, you just have a child two to three years old and they just, they want to be in your presence, right? They're just doing their own little thing, playing or thing. You walk away and what do they do? They follow you. You go in the other room, they follow you. It's not like they're trying to derive, you know, they want to interact with you so much. They just want to know that you're there. And it's a beautiful thing. I remember with all our kids, you know, they would just playing, doing their little thing, you know, and just sitting there. And it's not like we're interacting, but they know that their mom and their dad is there, right? And that's the picture David is trying. He's showing a picture of beautiful, perfect contentment and confidence, that he enjoys God. He's not like an unweaned child, easily disturbed by uh, hunger, throwing a tantrum, right? The terrible twos, we call them, right? Or the terrific twos. Kids throw tant- tantrums. No, this picture is one just sitting there, enjoying being quiet before the Lord. It's a simple and quiet faith. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, right? He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is a difficult thing to do. I know it, right? To be quiet, to be still before Lord. We live in a time where everybody is uh, reacting to something, right? Everybody's got these things now. If you'd imagine 20 years ago and say, you know, people would just be walking around like this. You know, constantly. I was watching, I was joking with Jackson last night. We're watching the, watching the game, you know, and someone just scores a touchdown. Everybody's excited, and they show the fans, and you see these people, they're just like probably checking their Instagram and all that, right? We constantly got to have something, you know, in front of us. We don't know how to be still anymore, to be quiet. You know, we look at, say, the monastic lifestyle, the monks. Well, they had something right. There is a time for quiet. There's a time to rest in the Lord. Half of our problems would go away if we had just learned to relax, rest in the Lord. I have an Apple Watch, you know, and one of these things has got all these fitness things. And one of the things every uh, couple hours, it'll come up and say, you need to breathe, right, <laughs> for a minute. What, you, what do I do? I swipe that thing away. I've tried it a couple times. You know, a minute is a long time, right? Just breathe. Just think it through, right? We can't do that. We can't do that. And that's part of our problem. We need to learn to discipline ourselves, learn to be quiet before the Lord. We all know the verse. We love it. But they who wait for the Lord, what? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus gave the the invite, right? Jesus said, come to me, all who are labor, heavy laden, I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. Why? I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find what? 
rest for your souls. When we get above our head, we need to find rest from him. Finally, the last age, hope. Finally, we must hope. Hope in God. It's like David says, O Israel, O church, hope in God. Hope in Christ, right? Where is your hope today? Where is your foundational hope? Is it a successful career, successful family, healthy retirement account, you know, a return of our country to some idea we have in our head? Uh, Those things are okay to all have, but where is your foundational hope? Because those things will be shaken, right? And many times they are shaken. Our hope needs to be in the Lord. It's interesting at the end of the psalm that goes before 131, chapter 130, verse 7, it says this. Listen to this. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Do you hear that promise with the Lord? Hope, steadfast love, redemption in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins. Those promises that come in his holy word. I love Romans 8. It's got all the theology you ever wanted to know, but it gets down to like, who can separate us from the love of God? You know anything? There's nothing that can separate us. If God is for you, who's against you? Right? If, Christ, if God gave up his only son, what else will we hold back? He gave his best, right? We need to be reminded our hope needs to be in those things when we get over our head, above our pay grade. And this idea of humility and resting in Christ needs to be a daily occurrence. It's a process. It's something we learn, okay? It's not like, all right, let me get out my three H's today, it needs to become a lifestyle of who we are. For you who were in Sunday school class a few weeks ago, and we were talking about Paul in the book of uh, Philippians. He says this, he goes, I have learned how to be content. I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the key. I can do all things who Christ who strengthens me. Life is filled with ups and downs. There are periods of plenty, thank goodness. There are periods of want. Paul said, I've learned the secret. And what is the secret sauce? Jesus. Hope in Jesus. We got to be grounded in Christ. That's why that song was written every day. You know, when they walk down to Jerusalem, they're supposed to be singing this song. I put my hope in Christ. I hope in God. I trust in him. I learn to rest. I humble myself before God. I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, where do you go when you're above your pay grade? When you don't fully understand the future, you don't fully understand everything around you, when you're struggling maybe in your faith, where do you go? Who do you turn to? I would encourage you this morning that humble yourself before the Lord and what? He will lift you up. Hush, be quiet, be still and know that he is God. And then finally, hope, hope in Christ. Amen? Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful word given by David. And Lord, we recognize that many things come our way that are above us, Lord. We don't fully understand them. We can't handle them. And even the little things there, Lord, that get us upset and agitated some days, we tend to forget that we can come to you. As little children, Lord, you said, as little children come in simple like faith to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us this morning to do that. Help us, Lord, to cultivate uh, that in our hearts. Help us always to look to Jesus as our hope and our help. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.